HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Nyman Ranch. I'm Paul Willis, a fifth-generation farmer and co-founder of Nyman Ranch Pork Company. Learn more about us at nymanranch.com. Hardcore is a new series from Heritage Radio Network. Over six episodes, we're taking a close look at the rebirth of American cider. Really, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that cider started to be revitalized in the United States. From the science of fermentation. So yeast, it's a fungus. It's a unicellular fungus. To the magic of terroir. What really excites us is thinking about communicating that very sort of spiritual aspect of knowing a piece of land. We're setting aside our cider donuts to gain a deeper understanding of this singular beverage. I love a cider donut. You don't have to have a cider donut with your cider, and I will die on that point. Subscribe to Hardcore wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. History being yesterday, or two hours ago, or a thousand or two thousand years ago. And today we're going to be talking about more recent history. It's about dining out in large part. And while dining out was really once reserved for the upper class society, it has over the past, and I'm going to say maybe I was going to say 100 years ago, but I think we can even trim it to 75 years ago. It's become more popular than ever for all classes. No time to cook, the proliferation of affordable options, and the proliferation of restaurants in all price categories. One could say that dining out, whether it's the local cafe or the diner or the burger joint nearby, or four-star fancy restaurant, or the newest, hippest haunt. It's truly a huge part of American culture. And people are always, if not dependent, curious on the opinions of others. Some people are, of course, tied to the opinions of others and to the reviews that are posted online or in books. And, you know, for centuries there have been dining guides, and I'm literally centuries, usually upscale, uh, offered for that special dining class. 
And often they were travel guides or accompanied travel guides. Then along came Zagat in 1979. It broke all molds. You know, it's that narrow little red book that uh, everybody, in well, in major cities, at least in across the world, in international cities too, kept on their desk or on their shelf, ready for, for reference whenever they were going to go out to dine. The specialty about Zagat and the reason it broke its mold, the mold, is that it was a guide for the people, by the people. Well, Zagat, Tim and Nina Zagat founded it, and we'll find out more about the history in a minute, in 1979, and then they sold it um, in 2011, and it has once again been purchased. And it is just now hot off the press, at least the New York City Guide as a start. So it's the Zagat 2020 New York City Restaurants. It was acquired by the group called The Infatuation, the website, the team, Infatuation. And joining me today, I have the editor-in-chief of both The Infatuation and Zagat. That she is, Hillary Reinsberg, and Hillary joined the company in 2014 as its first employee. She was a writer um, and editor and did a lot of of writing over the years, wrote wrote for BuzzFeed, wrote stories about all kinds of things, Uh, uh, stories about women, politics, culture, tech. And the interesting thing is she really was never a restaurant review writer. And here she is as editor-in-chief of Zagat. Welcome, Hillary. Thank you so much. We're going to talk about that. You never were a food writer, as they say, or restaurant review critic. And here you landed a job as editor-in-chief of one of the foremost, well-known, trusted restaurant guides in, well, aside from Michelin, probably the world. Whoa, do you consider that a disadvantage, that you were never a restaurant critic? Well, at the time that I came to edit the Zagat Guide, I have been editing restaurant reviews and overseeing our expansion in cities. For infatuation. For right. infatuation. So we're going to so, lump this together for yes. the time being, okay? Yeah, so so I will say, coming to the Zagat Guide, I felt that I actually had quite a lot of experience in thinking about restaurant reviews, um, especially in New York City, but in cities all over the place. At the infatuation, we have hired many... Uh, people to serve as critics who were not traditional critics beforehand, um, but were comedians. We had a woman, we have a woman who is our Chicago writer who um, worked in a, in a hair salon uh, and was the person that everyone called, they would, people would call the salon asking her for restaurant recommendations. So people may, the, our writers may not have been, and myself included, may not have been traditionally restaurant critics in a, in a past life, but tend to be people who are, really passionate about restaurants or really knowledgeable about them. So I would say that I think that the position that I, that I started in was advantageous in that I was passionate about restaurants, but I saw them as a diner, not as an insider. Um, and that's been, uh, that's been quite valuable. I think that perspective, and we try to maintain that perspective of being regular. What is the experience you're going to have as a regular diner? Well, I think that's, a very important feature to, I mean, to or not or qualification actually, and it's part of how what Zagat was founded on. Absolutely. And 
it, the, some, that, and that brings me to something that, um, that I wanted to talk about. Why, why did this group all of a sudden decide to buy, I, I know a little bit of the story behind it, but buy Zagat. I mean, Zagat had been purchased by Google from Tim and Nina Zagat um, for a hefty price, and then it sort of, sort of, kind of, they squandered it. No, <laughs> it kind of sat on the shelf. I mean, it really, you know, it was around, but it wasn't in prominence. But then again, there is so much competition. There are so many websites, so many online reviews. Everyone's a critic online. I mean, anyone has, all they have to do is type something up and post it on their website. Why did they decide to resurrect this little skinny red Bible, as they say? I can really speak to the value that we saw in it, which was it still is an internationally known iconic brand that that stands for a lot and really is the gold standard in in uh, user. The, you, the Zagat Guide was the first user gen was really the first user generated restaurant resource that existed. Right. They really kind of invented the format. So we had always known the infatuation is written by by critics who, you know, for the most part, it's their full time job. Um, dying anonymously, and so it's more knew, of a writer's a writer's absolutely. Book. And we, but we knew at the same time that we had built this community of people who felt similarly and were similarly passionate about restaurants. We're not insiders, and we saw them wanting to contribute in some way. It didn't fit onto the infatuation.com's reviews, so it had been something that had been something that was in our minds anyway. And when the opportunity to to have Zagat in, our, in the house came about, it just felt like such a natural fit. And although they have different perspectives as to where they get the intel to, for the review, I think the spirit, of, the spirit of the brands is really similar. The founding story is even, even has a lot of parallels. Um, and we saw, as we got to know Tim and Nina Zagat, we even saw those parallels. So the spirit of the two brands, despite being started, you know, 30 years apart, um, has shares a lot of the same DNA. Well, and this brand, to, to use Tim Zagat's words, he said, you know, that you have to understand the brand is, you know, it's basically, he didn't say synonymous, but associated with trust, accuracy, and ease of use. Tell me a little bit about, well, and I hope this is going to carry on, but Let's go back a few steps and talk about that original founding of the Zagat Guide. Sure. So it's a, it's a great story. Um, Tim and Nina Zagat met at Yale Law School and shortly after that went to live in Paris. And they were the young lawyers in their firm. And they became the go-to restaurant people. What were the, new, what were the interesting new restaurants in Paris at the time? And in, in, the, in the 70s, early 70s. And what they created for their, people kept asking them, and what they created was, was initially something called the Guide des Guides, and they actually <laughs> aggregated various restaurant guides into one, basically a one sheet of a few pages that was this initial resource. And so they had been in that spirit of creating restaurant guides even before 1979. When they moved back to New York, they were both lawyers, they were passionate about dining, they were at, I believe, a wine dinner and they had this idea that they said they did they felt like something was missing they knew all of these people who were passionate about restaurants and there were still very few voices they were essentially the newspaper critics that were um sort of getting getting to say what was good 
And so they had this idea to circulate a survey among their network. And it was like 120 people, I think, who reviewed 200 restaurants in that first iteration. And from there, the, the guide was born. And, the, you know, it was that was the Zagat survey. And they started circulating that. And that was 1979. And over the years, it developed. It, it launched in cities all over the world. You know, in the tight, they were doing... Um, golf course guides, shopping guides, and it really became this ubiquitous thing. And um, so many people were contributing that it became this really trusted, easy to use. They were always really, they were really thoughtful in a way that we have been similarly with the infatuation about the user first, the reader first, make this easy for the reader to consume, make this enjoyable, make it useful make it entertaining. Um, we've, we share those exact values. We've well, shared those values at the infatuation. That's what I was going to ask you. How important is that brand in, in your work today with Sagat? And you just said, well, keep it, keep it about the user. Right? Yes. Okay. It has to be great. To, it has to be great to use. It's not for, um, that's, that's all, that's who it's for. And, uh, well, people if, wouldn't use it otherwise. <laughs> any of the listeners out there, um, had bought Sagat's from a, a way back, you know, that, at a certain point, eventually, you would be sent a survey. And if you filled out oh, X number of restaurants in the survey, you would get a free guide of your city or city of choice. Um, and the surveys were really, I mean, they weren't, they weren't joking. I mean, they asked serious questions. Can you tell me a little bit about that, about the user reviews and how, how that works? So it's now all completely online. It was something that was sent by mail in the early days, but by, I believe, the late 90s or 2000s had become digital. And we used really, you know, we studied the old surveys um, and the more recent ones that had been circulated in past years and circulated it to the Zagat to the Zagat audience, to the newsletters, to the infatuation audience, and had a tremendous response um, right away. And people rate, uh, people rate the restaurants. They offer comments. They offer, of course, their names are not tied to it, so we're not impacted by who said it. Mm -hmm. But um, and then um, and people also rank their five favorite restaurants, which makes up the most popular list, which is sort of interesting to look in terms of comparing that to the top ratings. And then it comes back to the editors and we then look through those comments and that's when we, that's how we craft the reviews. But it's all those, the quotes of course all come from the survey. Mm -hmm. What if um, there's a restaurant that you feel in, you're, you're surveying a particular city. Well, right now you're, you're just doing New York City. You just did New York City. Um, plans to go to other cities, I'm sure. But you're reviewing a city, and there's a restaurant that you feel is, um, you know, that should have, should be in the book, should have something said about it. But you didn't receive any response about any of them. What happens then? You send another round of, of reviews, or you send your own people out? On Zagat, we we do we would not send our own people out to write reviews of places. It really does have to come from the community. Um, it wasn't a problem that we had in this book. We really received a, an incredibly diverse, broad um, array of responses. Of course, if a place gets no replies or only one comment, um, you know that's not going to be enough. But uh, it really wasn't a problem that we encountered um, on the infatuation, where there's an editorial. You know, everything is made from an editorial first person perspective. Of course, we 
would send our writers to places that we think are interesting. But um, on Zagat, it really is about the diners, and it has to come from the places that the diners are going. And they, with that many people, with you know, we had two hundred thousand, over two hundred thousand ratings and reviews. We 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 felt like we we covered a lot, quite a lot there. Yeah. Um, so it really Indeed. wasn't an issue. Yeah. Well, as I said before, there's so much competition in restaurant reviewing now, and online particularly. And you've got you know TripAdvisor, Open Table, Eater, and Yelp. And Yelp is probably the the only one that even is sort of comparable to the you know the user review type thing and yet it's not controlled like as much as like the uh the zagat guides are and a lot of work goes into the zagat guides into categories so um which i see a lot of people copy i get yeah <laughs> i think now someone else is starting to do it too maybe resi is starting to uh, and, compile and on the infatuation we've, yeah. the whole the whole uh premise of the infatuation is built around perfect four categories with the idea that Top ratings are valuable. Absolutely. What is a top restaurant? That's tremendously valuable. You should know that the Zagat survey takers thought La Brunadana had the finest food in New York City. Um, but also, you want to know what are, there's a section called commuter oasis. So if you're near Penn Station, where do you go? And that's information that's just valuable in your day-to-day life, and you're going to be able to use that year-round. And if we've, we've taken the same approach at the infatuation. Where do you go on... You know, we have a first category, date. first date, exactly. <laughs> and how is that different from a, an anniversary date or a second date? You know, and um, how do? You, what about a big group dinner, a celebratory dinner? What if it needs to be an affordable dinner because it's a, you know, it's a work event? Or there's there's all these different situations that people find themselves in, and, and sort of slicing and dicing. Okay, I need this, and it also has to be in the East Fifties. And it those constraints are kind of what makes it fun, I yeah. think. Um, out of context. It's great to talk about. We love to talk about great restaurants, but providing the context that people can relate to, I think, is, is kind of the best part. I, I, absolutely. And we're going to talk a little bit more about, about how the book is organized yeah. um, in a bit. Um, t- uh, as far as the history of, of the book and the guides, how many do you know offhand how many cities it covered at, at its peak I don't have an exact number, but they were also doing, as I said, golf course guides. They were doing, there was a guide in Tokyo, to Tokyo in Japanese, so really every major city and, and several region. they also had several regional guides at the height. Um, they really were everywhere. Yeah, and internationally. Absolutely. Yeah. I know I was, we were talking before the show, and I mentioned that um, back back in the day when I used to be at the Food Network, I did a restaurant review show, um, and you know, we relied heavily on Sagat guides for different cities when we had to add a few restaurants to that city we were going to. And if it weren't for the Zagat guide, you know, we it had to take a lot more research. It was kind of like our internet of the day. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> way, you know, and now you just uh, click of the button, click of the well, the Google button, <laughs> and you can find you know, restaurants in whatever city you yes. want. Of course, that is um, an interesting. Point, and that is the difference between uh, searching online and searching in a book. And do you know what the plans are to keep the book in print or not? Or is that too soon to tell? So the plan with Zagat is we're going to be launching a digital platform next year. So Zagat will continue to be a resource for restaurant discovery, for restaurant guides, for user-generated restaurant discovery. Um, and we are the book is our first step in kind of relaunching the brand. Um, and, you know, I think I, I would love to point out that we also brought a lot of the history of Zagat back. We brought it back to 30 points. The reviews look 
like what well, like now what talk, people can so, yeah, expect. Talk yeah. about the 30 points because so, it, it um, changed for a while. Yeah, it, it was it was out of five points for a while um, during during Google days to be comparable with the way things were there. And people loved the 30 point. We brought that back. They, we've brought back the in, the old logo. So this is our this is really our first step into into our representation of Zagat, our interpretation of Zagat. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to see us doing a lot more in the next year. And I think this is sort of our big kickoff of, of starting to really do exciting things. Um, so, so it's, I don't think we're quite ready to say exactly where the print, uh, where the, what the future of the, of the book and print is. Um, but we've had tremendous response over the past, um, it's been selling well, um, tons of interest. People have been buying custom corporate copy, you know, you, with the, the right. custom logo copies, we're doing those again, custom at Zagat.com if you want one. Um, and so, so we're going to be, be, you know, listening to the response, listening to people, what, what people want. And the reason we did this book in the first place was because people, we knew people would be excited about it. People wanted it. And as I said, it's user first. So, um, we'll be evolving the brand over time, but it certainly will continue to be a place that you, to be that resource exactly, you know, how that happens, I think will certainly evolve over time. But Zagat is staying in the restaurant review business for sure. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to talk more about the actual point system and yes. the different categories, but the all important back of the book organization yes. of the book yes. when we come back after a brief break. So stay tuned. My name is Paul Willis. I'm a fifth-generation hog farmer, and I owned and operated the Willis Free Range Pig Farm for over 41 years. I've dedicated my life to revitalizing sustainable hog farming methods in the Midwest and moving farms away from the common industrial practices. In 1998, I established the Nyman Ranch Pork Company. I'm proud to say Nyman Ranch has since grown into a network of over 740 independent family farmers and ranchers today. At Nyman Ranch, our animals are raised with care. We believe that the quality of an animal's life impacts the quality of the meat. Our high standards were developed with the help of animal welfare expert, Dr. Temple Grandin, and are among the strictest in the industry. All of our animals live outdoors or in deeply bedded pens, and they're never given antibiotics or added hormones ever and are only fed a high-quality, 100% vegetarian diet. Whether they're raising hogs, cattle, or lamb, Nyman Ranch farmers and ranchers share our commitment to traditional farming, raising livestock in the way our parents and grandparents did, and supporting our rural communities. We share a common belief that humane and sustainable methods produce the best possible flavor. Learn more about our work at Nyman Ranch at nymanranch.com. Hi, we're back, and I'm speaking with Hillary Reinsberg, and she is the new editor-in-chief of The Resurrection of Zagat Restaurant Guides, you know, that little red book we talked about. I have to tell you, when um, the publicist sent me a copy of the book, I put it on the kitchen counter at home, 
And my husband walked in at the end of the day, and he was, oh, my God, a new Sagat guide. Like, where's it been, you know, for all these years? And and other people, you know, walked through the kitchen, noticed it, and it has it generated a lot of excitement just within my own apartment. So I can only imagine what people are thinking when they see this on the newsstands and on the shelves. They will be disappearing. That is great. I, I've spent... Um basically my whole career writing online. And so I've never been able to really give people anything. And so being able to show up to dinner and say, I brought you something is very, has been very exciting for me. Uh, I've been carrying them around in my bag. I've I've never have enough. Everyone wants one. I'm like, I only brought three. (laughs) Well, you put one on the studio's bookshelf. I see. And I just, I'm just going to see how long it stays there before (laughs) it disappears. And someone, you know, absconds with that. Um, Let's talk about the book. We're going to talk about um, the new book and how it was designed, and you had a, a heavy hand in that one, um, a, a good heavy hand, not a, not a bad heavy hand. And then we're going to talk about how it was organized from history. So tell me a little bit. You talk. You give a lot of history in the beginning of the book, which, of course, is something new because it was always current. So talk about that. So in addition to being the first book that's been out in a couple of years, it's also the 40th anniversary of Zagat. So we thought, and under, under new ownership, we thought it was a good moment to basically, for the most part, it be the book that you know and love, open, it up, open up a random page in the middle, and you see exactly what you'd expect. But we thought it was a good opportunity to take a look back, take a look forward, give some information about the history. Not, not a crazy amount, um, but what happened was, as it came about, as we set out to, to do the book and started working on it a couple months ago, I started doing a lot of research into the old books. And we have a library in our office of all the old books going, you know, books from the 80s. And we started reading through them, understanding them, reminiscing about old restaurants that had closed. And that provided this inspiration for it. We realized, like, there's actually, you can really tell the story of the dining scene in New York City and, and other cities by looking through these old books. So... We put, so I put together this retrospective in the front of the book that's decade by decade, and what it does is takes four reviews, um, historical reviews from from old books, republishes them uh, from different years of the decade, and then has some information as well on the decade and and a bit of a, a few paragraphs interpreting that. And it's been uh, that was really fun to look at how things have changed, what has stayed, what what have been the constants, what have been the changes. Uh, and then we and, also and have, you did, yes. and they weren't that many um, decades because you really started. Yeah, um, no, it you starts, started late in the eighties. Right. Know. Well, the book, the the origin well, was in nineteen seventy nine, so that that made sense. Um, so yeah, we have you know, and I think there were a lot of fun throwbacks for people, even. Whether you, whether you were there to experience them or have just heard about them. or um, So we had places like in the 80s, you had La Brenna Dan opened in, towards the end of the decade. They never left the list. Has never <laughs> left, uh, stayed strong throughout. Um, you have places like a lot of people mentioned to me, oh, Florent, which um, that was a place that people loved in, in the meatpacking district that was really iconic of sort of setting, setting that neighborhood off. Indochine, which... Where you know it's like a, a Warhol kind of you know Basquiat hung out there and Madonna and is still around and it was a fun look back and then you have you know you have Nobu opening in the '90s and Blue Ribbon and you know I also th- I threw in some fun ones like Mars Twenty One Twelve which was this ridiculous theme restaurant yeah. and the, the fashion cafe I mentioned we mentioned there's 
there was all there. So he tried to go high, low, all different types of things. You know, you also have Danielle opened in the 90s. Um, but you see interesting trends happen throughout. One of the things we pointed out was um, there was a very famous uh, French restaurant, Lutece, and its sort of rise and fall um, had been very high in the most popular list, starts to fall through the 90s, um, you know, then eventually closes. And you, you start to see, you see these trends um, change throughout the years. And then in the 2000s, you have, I think, this big shift towards you have um, places like Shake Shack and the first Momofuku opens and there's like much more of a trend towards I think a lot of the restaurant culture that we have today we have you have Roberta's where we're <laughs> which we're which we're, we're overlooking of, right. <laughs> right now um, open but also you know and so there's all there it's a looking back at those books is just an amazing way to to get a read into into uh, the New York dining scene right. over the past well when years. I said you, you you didn't start that late you started the 80s yeah because if you're going to look at how the dining scene changed, you're, well, you didn't go back that far. Yeah. But, in fact, in just those, well, it's almost 40 years. Yeah, because yeah, it's yeah, 40, 40 years, years exactly. 40 year anniversary. Yeah. Um, a lot really has changed in the dining really industry. Has. I yes. mean, it's, uh, and as I said at the top of the show, I mean, you know, the proliferation of affordable restaurants, it opened up dining to, to everybody. Mm-hmm. So there's something for everyone. There really is, and this, I think you'll you know, find that in this book, although... Um, although you may see a lot of highly rated fine dining, expensive restaurants, sure. there's really a lot of um, of affordable options across all five boroughs. Well, let's talk about those uh, ratings. Yes. It tells you whether it's affordable or not and how good it is and what it's based on. All right. You said you brought back the 30-point yes. rating. And now that's what Zagat always had. Yeah. And, did anyone ever get a 30? And how many? I don't believe there's ever been a 30. The highest rating in this book is a 29. And I think um, 29 was was the highest yes. rating, period. I don't and, think And what's got a interesting, I think, about the book is that you don't have, um, there is that you have food decor and service. And so a restaurant can rank and differently. Cost. Food and decor, cost, right? service, and cost, right? Right. The cost is, um, right, is a. Uh, is, is less of like the that, that's another data point but um i think it's been right you have so you see that people no one sort of wins in every single category right food decor service all had different had different people who different restaurants sort of were at the top in that category um and then we also organize we also organize all the um, restaurants by cuisine and by neighborhood. So you're able to see what was the top rated in, in every category. So you want to know the top rated Korean restaurant or the so top rated in, restaurant. This in, is in the back of the In the book. back of the, the book. Back of the book. Uh, in, the, in the front, you also have an abbreviated version of top food by cuisine. Right. So we list, okay, what are the top barbecue places? There are, there are three listed in that in the front or burger joint. Um, and then in the back, you have the extensive complete uh complete directory Mm -hmm. um so you can see every japanese restaurant listed and that takes up like a full page um well danny meyer wrote the foreword he did yeah and and he talks about in the beginning you said we had you have um as always were most popular top food key newcomers um what was the what was the other oh international you know important international cuisines um and and he actually talked about most popular yeah. as opposed to top food. Yeah, he, he talks about how there's a there's a section in the front called most popular in which survey takers are asked to rate their five favorite restaurants. And that is really 
a different kind of rating. What is your favorite? It's not always the finest service. It's or and he said that historically he had followed he had followed the Zagat guides coming out and he tells the story of going out to rushing out from Union Square Cafe to the Union Square Barnes and Noble to pick up his book. And he always he says that he found that his restaurants were often outranking they were ranking very high in the most popular quite quite well in in food decor and service as well but they were always really winning in that most popular category and he says that he feels like that represents hospitality yeah. and a larger overarching sense of hospitality which because yeah, then you look at the ratings and food was okay it was okay it was up there but it wasn't one of the top ratings and and that, I thought that was very interesting because absolutely. that has, is and what he became known for. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, he's, uh, we had our um, launch event at Eckhart Mercy Tavern and um, he spoke and, and had continued to echo those sentiments. So, Well, the, the all overarching important back index of yes. the book, because as you said, it's important. You have to, you're going, you know, you have a meeting at... Uh, in the Flatiron District, or you know, or, or if you're in some other city, by the you know by the river, where's a good place to eat? So you have in the back, there's always the listings, and I see they're the same, and that makes me very happy. Yes, cuisines, locations, and special features. Special features we mentioned before, like where do I go if my parents are visiting? Right. You know, where do I go on a first date? Where's yeah, a great exactly. place for a celebration? All right. Yeah, the categories um, are a little different, but we have business dining, we have celebrations. Don't believe we have parents, but we have child yeah. friendly. <laughs> we have tra- parents is a tough one. It's it's That's incredibly one, subjective, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, oh. But dining solo, fine dining, right. group dining, so jury duty, which is always a fun one. Now this is a new one, old New York vibe. Yeah, that That's, had actually yeah. been in uh, past guides under, I believe, a different terminology. Uh-huh. But outdoor dining, um, uh, yeah, exactly. music and entertainment. There was always one where to just grab a quick. Drink or something before. Yeah, um, and quiet conversations, romantic places, special wedding wine lists, wine bars, yeah, uh, all kinds of things. But the locations were always very important <coughs> yes, too, because of course. you know, uh, in big cities, you're not going to travel, you know, all the way across town just for a quick dinner. If you're, you know, if it's a destination exactly. restaurant, yes, and that's always so helpful, especially if you know, say, okay, we'll meet halfway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's that halfway point? Yeah, it's uh, really. In L.A., it's all about that in L.A. In New York, people, I think, are a little more willing to yeah, travel. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. Um, in, so you, there are how many listings? 400? 1,400. 1,400 listings. Yes. Yeah. That's a and lot a, of restaurants. Over 190 index, uh, restaurant indexes. That's by the cuisine and location. So and different categories. And 200,000 ratings. Ratings and reviews, yeah. And reviews. That's, that's pretty good. That's, that's I, I think that, that is, is a... 57 cuisines. Yeah. 105 neighborhoods, five boroughs. <laughs> I, I think you've got it covered, and um, I think that this is very exciting, whether it stays in print or it just tr- finds its way in a, you know, a nice place online in this format. I'm very excited about it, I know, because it was always a very important book to me, and I look forward to reading about all the other cities that, that come up. Now, the infatuation, which is the company that bought it, or the, yes. yeah, the group that bought it, um, it will continue to write its own absolutely long form, more yes. of a long form type yep. uh, critique or review of a restaurant. Absolutely, and we think my opinion on it and our and our overall take is that there's a val- there's a great value in both. Um, there's I, I don't believe you know we don't believe that restaurant 
re review and discovery is a zero-sum game. There, people want to have different kinds of information, right. and people want to share their own information. That's a huge part of it, the community element. And knowing what a, what an audience has to say and what this writer that you've come to know and follow who's really working on their craft and is entertaining, there's a great place for both of those. I mean, look at the popularity of Rotten Tomatoes or something like yeah. that where you have the critic score and, and, the, um, and the audience score. That's, you know, it, that is the way that people consume information. I think there's a wonderful place for both and really no conflict in that. Yeah, well, I like this this for the people by the people Absolutely. guide, and and the <laughs> infatuation. The way we write is that too. You know, yeah. it's it's also by the people. It's maybe one person, but they are taking that approach of thinking for the audience, for it, um, for the not for just uh, the insider or a person who knows everything already. Yeah. Will you be giving voice to any particular writers eventually? You think in in the infatuation, not certainly not Sagat. Um, I mean, so we have we have full-time staff writers in cities across the country and in London. So we have writers in Chicago and in uh, we just hired an editor in Texas who's going to be hiring uh, writers in Austin, Houston, and Dallas. We have a handful of writers in L.A. and in New York, and their names are all on their pieces, and they all have, have their own followings and, um, and stories to tell, so... So we will be. We are hiring more of them. Uh, hiring hiring more in hiring in Texas, in Washington D.C., hiring in Miami, where uh, where we just launched, and, and looking for for more writers there. So, pretty much all the cities we're looking for great people. And again, they don't have to be. They don't have to have previously been food writers. They need to be people who are passionate about restaurants and are and are strong writers and funny people and. Um, and that yeah. is theinfatuation.com. That is theinfatuation.com. Theinfatuation.com. Okay. <laughs> and certainly zagat.com. Is that, is yes. It uh, has an online presence now. It does. And we'll the... be evolving that in a lot of ways over the next year. Mm -hmm. Terrific. Well, it's very exciting. And Thank I you. wish We're you excited too. all the luck. And Thank you. And we could launch into a, a whole history of, of restaurant review critics. And that would take us back to the, believe it or not, I think the... Or late 17, well, no, wow. restaurant, well, restaurants weren't around in America. They were, you'd have to go back to France right. because there were no restaurants in America, but certainly the 1800s. Um, so, all right. Revolved. Yes, revolved. <laughs> and that would be fun too, but none stands out like Zagat. Thank you. Thank you Hillary so much. Hillary Reinsberg, editor-in-chief of Zagat, and thank you for listening. Again, this has been A Taste of the Past. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.